1450 on the AM dial, WKXL 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM, the signal that booms into the Manchester area. It is Kale and Company. We're presented by Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord. You can call them for an appointment right now at 603-225-7988. It's weedfamilyautomotive.com. And my guest on this edition of Kale and Company is a very familiar voice to WKXL listeners. You can hear him every afternoon with Paul Hodes on Beyond Politics including uh, the balance of power, roundtable, great ideas, and so much more. It is Matt Robeson. Matt, welcome to Kale and Company. Oh, Ken, it, it, it feels like I, I've gone a long way, and yet uh, not that far. Uh, <laughs> same spot on the dial. <laughs> yes, indeed. We are going to put politics aside, however, uh, for a little while today and talk about something that is uh, very near and dear to both of our hearts, and that's the Boston Celtics. So I, I look forward to that for uh, this edition of the program. The- I, I'm beyond myself. I'm so excited. This is this is so much better. I mean, look, politics is a drag, man. Like what's going on in the world isn't that fun. It isn't that great. This is this is fun, and I got to say, things have gotten even more fun and even more exciting with the Celtics recently. So this is actually a genuine pleasure to talk about. Well, and uh, I couldn't agree more. The uh, NBA All-Star break is in the rearview mirror now, and we're heading down the home stretch of the uh, regular NBA season with the Celtics in sixth place in the Eastern Conference, four and a half games behind the Miami Heat and the Chicago Bulls. Celtics won nine of their last 10 games prior uh, to the All-Star break, losing their last game uh, before the break to the lowly Detroit Pistons, but uh, Celtics overall 34 and 26 on the season as we record this. Uh, Matt, are they pretty much where you thought they would be at this uh, time of the season? I'm happy to say no. I was, you and I were talking about this as the fall turned to winter. That the, the Celtics weren't just underperforming where we hoped they would be, and a lot of people hoped that they would be. Pretty good. I mean, there were there were serious NBA analysts. I mean, you and I are serious NBA analysts, but there are people whose full time job is to be NBA analysts who thought that the Celtics were as good as anyone in the East, easily in the top four, and with a, with a real puncher's chance of being in the top half of the Eastern Conference draw come playoff time. And that is not what was going on with them. You know, scuffling, scuffling around five hundred. But the bigger problem in my mind, was they were just a bummer to watch. They were, it, it was it was really kind of grueling viewing. If you're a basketball fan, you know, the ball wasn't moving, floppy turnovers, a lot of selfish play, a lot of hero ball. And so I'm really delighted to say, no, I, I did not see us getting to where we are now, even two months ago. I, I, I thought that this was going to be a lost season. And now... I'm I'm feeling invigorated. I am I are are you on the same wavelength or yes, are you kind of Absolutely. Absolutely so. Yes. Yes. Uh well let, let's uh, first of all talk about the most important rookie on the Celtics team and that is the head coach uh, Ime Udoka. Uh how would you rate uh, his performance through the first uh, 60 games? I would say if if we were giving a report card first of all obviously you'd have to give an incomplete 
But what I mean by that isn't just the season isn't over. But I think it's to be expected that this kind of a change is going to take some time. It's not that what Ime has been pushing is all that alien to what the Celtics have been doing under Brad Stevens the past seven or eight years. But anytime you have a change in tone, a change in emphasis, any kind of change in leadership and, and tweaks to a system, you can expect that they're going to take some time to set in. Plus, the coach is going to have to figure some things out. You need to, you need to learn how to, how to work with your individual players. How do you motivate them? How do you get through to them? How do you, where are the fault lines? Where are the, where are the places where you can really uh, get them angry at you and, and, you know, and, and have missteps? got to figure all of that out in terms of the emotional makeup of the team. And then there are also tactical things you need to figure out. So, so one thing that Ime has figured out in the last 20 games or so is he's taken Rob Williams off the, the center position. He's not guarding the biggest big on the other team. He's putting him into a matchup that puts him more on a wing in the corner. And what that's done is it's made him into essentially a, a roving zone nightmare for opposing teams off the ball. Well, you know, he could have tried that at the beginning of the year, but he had to kind of figure it out. He had to figure out what worked and what didn't. So uh, that's a very roundabout way of saying incomplete. But the fact that he is figuring these things out and that we've had a very strong, I think it's 16 of the last 20, maybe it's uh, – maybe 15 of the last 20 wins. Um, I, you know, I think that that speaks very positively. So he's right on course for where you would hope he would be if he's going to turn into another really strong coach for the Celtics. I'm very encouraged. And, of course, uh, as you well know, there are many people, many analysts even, uh, calling for the head of Ime Odoka uh, early in the season. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's understandable. Uh, frustration and impatience are understandable because Brad Stevens set a very high standard. The organization set a very high standard. It's been a good decade for the Celtics. I mean, it's been more than a decade. I mean, ever since the three amigos trade that, you know, that brought the Celtics their 2008 championship, it's been a really good run. And every year the Celtics have managed to put together a quality product on the floor. In some ways, the fact that they, Ended, especially in that in that stretch, starting with the drafting of Jason Tatum, they, they put together a stretch of teams that were scrappy overachievers. You know, with that in itself, I think was was really fun for fans and seeing players like Isaiah Thomas overachieve. You know, and 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 make a run at, at MVP status. It just gave a sense that wow, this this should be easy. You could take any collection of players. And sort of the pedigree, the Boston, uh, the, the whatever we put in the water here, and you just turn that into a successful team, especially when you have two of the highest-profile, most desirable wing players, which is of course the position of greatest need throughout the league. And so, yeah, I can understand. I can understand why fans were feeling somewhat downcast. I was feeling somewhat downcast, <laughs> but I do think that the patience is going to be well rewarded here because. He may obviously, he knows what he's doing and the things that he's focusing on and, and that have been improving recently, the passing, the, the, the velocity of moving the ball around, getting to the line, um, greater switchability on defense, 
all these things that are leading to success, the, the fact that they weren't doing those things is exactly what was bumming you and me out earlier in the season. Oh, you're, you're right on target with that. Now, you mentioned Rob Williams, and really the Williams duo, Rob and Grant uh, Williams, have both, uh, I think, made great strides this season. Oh, it's it's been just a joy to watch. I mean, I'll, I'll start with Rob. First of all, he remains, there is not a, a better nickname in the NBA. And nicknaming NBA players is a lost art. And I know he doesn't like the whole Time Lord thing. It's sublime. It's really spectacular. And his play is as well. Earlier in his career, the knock on him was he has this incredible athletic ability, this, this leaping ability, the timing I mean, his head hits the rim when he goes up for an alley-oop or a block. And it made him really susceptible to pump fakes and overhelping. And so he would give up a ton of, surprisingly, offensive rebounds. Why? Because he would bite on pump fakes, get out of position, jump, and either foul or not be available for an offensive rebound. You're seeing that over-eagerness dissipate a little bit as, as he gets into this season and the move to put him off the ball um, has, has really accentuated his greatest skills. The fact that he has really pretty nimble feet for a guy his size. He's not getting totally destroyed if he gets cross-matched onto a, a shifty point guard on the perimeter. A guy like Trey Young can, can you know, look, if he wants to take a 35-foot three, then yeah, Rob's going to get beaten by that. And you know, there are, there are some fast uh, guards with good handle who can turn the corner on him, no doubt. But he is credible out there. And so it, it's really that this change that Emay's put in has really played to his talent set. And then, of course, you know, I, I just can't say enough about Grant Williams. He's not, uh, you know, he, he's not an all-star. But the comparisons to a guy like P.J. Tucker are becoming increasingly apt. This is a guy who... What did he do in the offseason? Two things. One, he lost weight. And number two, he did nothing but, but shoot three. And it's showing. He has one of the top three-point percentages in the league. He's becoming really reliable. I mean, seriously, like a go-to play, a high-percentage play, a very efficient play for the Celtics is dribble penetration from the top after moving the ball with a kick out for the corner three to Rob. And it's uh, it's a grant. And it's it's... It's really spectacular. And the fact that the weight loss means that his feet have gotten faster. He's, he's more credible. He's not always getting the calls that you'd like to see him get. I mean, he's, he's fouling a little bit more than you'd like. But it's, it's really just, it's been fun. It's been downright fun to watch the Bulls. No, it uh, really and truly has. And uh, who, who was it, by the way, that gave uh, Rob Williams that uh, moniker, the, the Time Lord? Was that uh, Brian Scalabrini, or who was credited with that? I don't think it was Scal. I think what happened, I, 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 could, be getting, I could be getting the story wrong. I, it, might, it might have just come out of one of the players in the locker room, because apparently he, was, he overslept and he was late to his first practice. He was late to his first press conference. Yeah. And so, you know, there are a lot of nerds out there, uh, me among them, who would like to say it's a Doctor Who thing, but uh, it's not. It's not It's not a sci-fi thing. It's a, this guy can't keep his eye on the clock. But then it just kind of became sort of, it, w- what was so apt about it is, it really does seem when he jumps, like time stops. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And uh, and, and speaking of uh, Grant Williams, as we were a moment ago, I think he has become uh, the most reliable three-point shooter on the team. Would you would you have entertained? I mean, there were scuttlebutt that they were looking at him in a trade package. I, I mean, is there? I, I don't know how to phrase this, but like, is there any circumstance? What would you have needed to get <laughs> to consider Grant Williams in a trade package right now? Yeah, maybe Bradley Beal. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But but right. only we're looking at an All Star level. Now, uh, are we being a little like over enthusiastic here? Sure. I, I just, but I think that your point is valid because of his youth and his rate of improvement. I mean, you can't expect that he's going to continue to improve at this rate. But he's such a valuable asset. He's a switchable defender at his size. Who he's exactly what every the number one thing the teams in the NBA want right now is wing defenders who can create a little bit on offense and knock down three. And the Celtics have two of those. The number two thing that every one of the NBA wants is a switchable wing defender who can knock down threes. And that's what Grant Williams is. You can legitimately put him on basically any position two through five. So, yes, I, I'm, we're a little over-enthusiastic, but I'm, I'm right with you. Well, just uh, prior to the NBA trade deadline, uh, Brad Stevens uh, traded just about half the roster uh, for two players, uh, guard Derek White and uh, big guy Daniel Tice, re- uh, D- Daniel Tice, I should say, returning uh, to the Celtics. So, how do you grade Brad on uh, his really his first foray prior to the trading deadline? Well, he accomplished he accomplished two very important things. One was the trade for the players, and I think just flat out on that, it, it's sort of a B plus A minus to me. Is it a total grand slam? No. I should call it a slam dunk. I mean, we're talking basketball. <laughs> I don't want to mix sports metaphors. But is it, a, is it a total slam dunk? No, because you have to give value to get value. And I, I thought Josh Richardson was playing really well. I was still intrigued by the possibilities of Romeo Langford, who's long and was showing good progress on hitting threes. The problem with Romeo is that his availability was, was so spotty and just not reliable. Um, going forward, Derek White, yeah, he's only averaging five rebounds, three and a half assists, one steal a game. But just giving the the, the, the flexibility that you gain, you, you gain a few things with him. One is another really high-level switchable defender. I, I read that actually when you look at the advanced statistics, he's a top 15 defensive player in the league. So, you know, again, What do teams in the league want? They want switchable, rangy defenders on the perimeter who can stop ball penetration and then can turn around and hit threes. Would I enjoy it more if he were shooting like 36% from three versus what he's currently shooting, which is closer to 31% from three? Yes. But I'm willing to give some rope there because he accelerates the pace. He moves the ball. The ball is super not sticky in his hands. Um, you know, he'll, he will run out on makes. Um, so he does what the Celtics need. He, he, he accelerates the offense, uh, keeps the ball moving, he swings it around, um, he'll push it on the break. And if he can get his three-point percentage just up a little bit, just, just closer to league average, um, then it really does become a slam dunk. The other thing I'll mention that Brad Stevens accomplished was he did get under the luxury tax. And 
you know, it's not like I'm suggesting that we, you know, pour one out on the curb for the billionaires who own the Celtics and them having to pay the luxury tax. But what that does is it takes the Celtics out of that position, gives them more flexibility for the future, takes them out of the possibility of the repeater tax, which, you know, again, is to be avoided. So overall, I'd say a very strong trade deadline. And, uh, you know, certainly Derek White is is such an up-tempo player, and and that is the way the Celtics have started to play. They were a little, not a little, they were very lethargic, as we discussed at the start of the year. But bringing someone in that plays so, uh, you know, with such such tempo and, uh, you know, is is able to accomplish so many things on the court, uh, I I think that was a tremendous uh, acquisition for the Celtics. I really and truly do. Well, it comes also out of the same philosophy that produced Ime Odoka, mm-hmm. which is yep. the Spurs have a rule. The ball doesn't stick for more than half a second in your hand. Now, let me tell you, that's hard. I coach 10- and 11-year-old girls, <laughs> 12 now, yeah. and you know, getting them to get the ball out of their hands in under two seconds is, is tricky. In the NBA, if you, if you play for the Spurs, it's half a second. It's fast decisions. And that's what Ime's been preaching all season. Derek White is the epitome of that philosophy, so he fits in perfectly with what he may try to achieve. And it was widely reported uh, after he was traded that Celtics players were, uh, well, I, I guess for lack of a better term, happy to get rid of Dennis Schroeder. Well, you know, Schroeder, I'm I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything negative about Schroeder. Schroeder did some 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 good things. He did. I yeah. think one of the important things as a coach as a team, is, you know, of course you're always looking to improve your team, but you have to look at what somebody can do, not what somebody can't do. The thing with, with Schroeder is a lot of great capability, super fast. Um, you know, he has a Rondo-like ability to penetrate to the basket when it, it looks like there are, there are narrow openings or no openings. But he's a slow it up type. And the ball really stuck in his hands. And so no matter what positive attributes he had, I just didn't see the team achieving what they need in order to be successful as a team with Schroeder getting heavy minutes in the rotation. Derek White is a much better fit from that standpoint. No, no, no doubt about that. And there was almost a 100% chance that Dennis Schroeder would not be back next season. So, I mean, there, there's the other thing, too. Right. I mean, they got positive value out of the whole exchange. And look, Daniel Tice, I, I mean... His shooting percentage from three is it does not stand out, even though he's he's willing to take them and has shown that he can hit them. Um, and his performance for the Rockets, you know, he was he was benched at the time. So in a way, it, it, it on paper it doesn't look like a value trade. But as many analysts have pointed out, there's there is an inherent value in fitting in with a need on a team, knowing your role on a team. It's incredibly culturally important to know your role on a team. He has such a comfort level with the mainstays of the Celtics program, and he knows where to be in rotation. He's pretty switchable, too, and he's someone who can provide that same stretch capability. And if Horford's out, one of the biggest problems for the Celtics has been that, like all NBA teams, they're vulnerable to injuries, to, to someone being out. Uh, but the Celtics have been really hyper-vulnerable to that. That's one of the reasons why their, their December record was, was, so, was so down. 
um, and their level of play, their, their overall style of play was so down. And so Tice and White, uh, 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 Derek White give you players who fit into the system and give you some, some, some capability. If you lose a Marcus Smart, which we did right before the All-Star break, right. being able to bring in a White gives you an almost identical capability. And, and Horford, you know, Tice gives you a lot of those same backup capabilities for a Horford. Well, I have a question for you, but it's going to have to wait until uh, after the break. Uh, Matt Robeson is with us. We're talking Celtics today here on uh, Kale & Company at WKXL and htalkradio.com. We are presented by Weed Family Automotive, weedfamilyautomotive.com. Welcome back to Kale & Company here on AM 1450 WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area. And our guest today is uh, Matt Robeson. Uh, normally, you uh, get to hear Matt uh, expound and, and uh, very analytically about uh, the political world and what's going on there. But today, he is talking very analytically about basketball and specifically the Boston Celtics. And the question I have for you, uh, Matt Robeson, is did, uh, was part of the motivation for the Celtics getting Derek White to perhaps be able to trade Marcus Smart in the offseason? Oh, boy, I'm so glad you asked this because I wanted to ask you the same thing because you and I have <laughs> talked before about our mixed feelings about Marcus. So I'm warning you, Ken, I'm going to turn your question into a question back to you okay. in just a second. All right. Um, my current theory is no. My current theory is they like what they've got. They like the fact that, look, what have we seen in the last 20 games? And not all of that has, has included Derek White. But Derek White moves in the direction that they've been moving in for the last 20 games. So they're scoring 114 points per 100 possessions. I mean, that's pretty outstanding. There are reasons for that that we can get into. But the most important thing is that their defense has been giving up 99 points per 100 possessions. The number two team is Dallas at 106.5. That's a seven and a half point gap. Yeah. Yeah. If you follow that seven and a half point gap, the, 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 that's the same gap between Dallas at number two and the team that's at number 20. And that's given the Celtics the best net rating in the league. Now, I know that that's an old thing that defense wins championships. And when you really dig into the numbers, I know you just advertise me as being very analytical. I'm not going to do a ton of numbers here, but if you dig into the numbers, it turns out that it's not really true that defense wins championships. It's not any more true that offense wins championships. But being a strong defense, is an, it, it, it appears over history to get you into the conversation. If you have a top defense, you are almost automatic for the playoffs. It gets you into the mix. And so, you know, Marcus is still among the league leaders in individual statistical defensive categories like steals. He's at like 1.8 steals a game. And he's shown over the last 20 games that he can be a credible point guard. Not a top point guard, but he can be credible about it. And there have been, there's a model for this in the NBA for a defense-first, pass-first point guard who's not a great shooter. I'm thinking of Jason Kidd. And so 
can it be done? Yeah, it can be done. And so, yes, I, I, my, my, if I, if Nerf gun to my head right now, I'm stealing that from Zach Lowe, Nerf gun to my head right now, I would say the Celtics are happy with the combination of, of white and smart. But you're right, it does give them the possibility. And if there were a more traditional pass-first, reasonably strong defensive point guard out there who shot it a little bit better than Marcus, do they now have the ability with White? Yeah, they, they do. They have the ability to consider getting rid of Smart. But, okay, I promised I was going to turn it around. Okay. You've had mixed feelings about Marcus. What do you say? Well, to me, I and, you know, you're right. I have had mixed feelings and about Marcus Smart. I mean, there there's no one... Uh, that hustles uh, uh, more than Marcus Smart. That's true. I mean, and he's a great defender. Right? There's no arguing that. But he hasn't always had the uh, well, the best judgment in taking in taking shots from the outside. I think he uh, penetrates very, very well. I mean, and very few on the team penetrate the paint uh, better than Marcus Smart. And I love to see it when he does that and uh, take the ball to the hoop. But, you know, I think he has played over the last couple of months uh, more intelligent basketball than mm. I have seen uh, in his career as a Boston Celtic. I, I really do. I think his, his, uh, he has taken fewer uh, ridiculous threes, you know, and uh, I, I think he's certainly been guilty of that in the past. I think he has cut down of, on that uh, over the last couple of months and really has been a a pass-first kind of guy and a great facilitator. Uh, and, and right now, uh, he's he's winning me over. He's winning me over, Matt. Can you believe that? You know, I, I do believe it. And I think what's so hard, especially for an analytical guy like me, I love the numbers, right? I love the data. I, I do. But so much of basketball, you know, Bill Simmons, the big book of basketball, he starts out by talking about the original. Isaiah Thomas, mm -hmm. and the secret, the secret, which is that on a team, it's not about basketball. It's about the, it's about an intangible quality, which is a sense of sacrifice, a sense of playing together. It's about teamwork, ultimately. And what's so interesting to me is Marcus went on a little bit of a public rant. Should he have done it behind closed doors rather than publicly? Yeah, maybe. But he put the pressure, he called out. The, the Tatums and Browns and, and the rest of the players on the team for not passing the ball and, and not moving it around. Well, what, what happened during the last 10 games when they went 9-1 and one and they've been absolutely decimating the league? They, and by the way, their, their, their uh, overall um, net rating, you know, their, their points per game minus their, their, what they're giving up per game, is the top in the league. Um, you know, it's, it, it's 13.3. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal in the last 10. Well, what's the, the change been? Well, over the last 10, they've been averaging 310 passes and 50 what are called potential assists, meaning a pass to an open player who takes the shot per game. Now, that's up. That's up 20 passes and five potential assists per game. And you also see players like Jason Tatum in the last 10, he's up an assist per game. Yep. And so this, I guess my point is Marcus brings, we've always known that he brings things that are, that don't always show up in the stats. 
when it comes to hustle and, and heads up plays and drawing two charges in a row on, on Harden, you know, to, to, to claw out a win and all, all kinds of things that, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see just looking up a stat sheet. But I think he's also right now bringing leadership. And for whatever reason, and I think Marcus's attitude and approach has a lot to do with it, the Celtics are moving the ball. They're, they're getting way more assists. Their foul rate is way down. Um, and they're, the, the average amount of time that the ball is in their hands, this is actually measurable nowadays, the average amount of time that the ball is in their hands is down because they're snapping it around. Yep. And so, you know, I, you have to give some of the credit there to Marcus Smart, and he's kind of changed. I, I agreed with everything you said, and he's kind of changed my mind too. Yeah, I I think so. He's I think he's changed the minds of a lot of people. I mean, uh, uh, you know, prior to the uh, to the trading deadline, on uh, many of the uh, the sports talk shows, everybody was looking to uh, include Marcus uh, as part of a trade package, maybe a blockbuster trade package. But uh, you know, Brad Stevens did not do that, and I think sensing the fact that uh, you know uh, Marcus is playing a more in intelligent game uh, out there. I mean, he has always been a great defender, as we as we know. Uh, but again, I, I think his leadership and his intelligence has has really been a part of the key to this uh, resurgence uh, of the Celtics. I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's 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 tough. It's tough because it, it's a team where you would think that Jason Tatum is as sort of the number one player overall talent wise is the leader. But that's not that's not always the way these things work out. In my mind it's pretty clear that Marcus Smart is the leader of the team. And you do hear the team talk about that, that that, you know, he is he's sort of the heart and soul of the team. And the problem is that many NBA teams cry wolf when it comes to things like that. They will say, you know, oh so and so is indispensable the key part of what we do. Steve Nash, right before the James Harden trade, said, we are not trading James Harden. What happened 72 hours later? They traded James Harden. <laughs> but I think it's real. I think it's real when it comes to smart. And, of course, you know, the other thing that we're seeing now is Brad Stevens is the man upstairs in the GM chair. And he has shown in his recent trade moves that he likes his guys. He likes the players that he knows and trusts knows what they're all about. And so that's uh, chalk that one up is, is another one in favor of uh, keeping Marcus for the long haul. Matt Robeson is our guest, and uh, we're talking Boston Celtics basketball. And, of course, you can hear all the games right here on WKXL at 1450 AM, 103.9 in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area. It's Kale and Company. We'll be back right after these words on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. It is Kale and Company. Great to have you with us today. And we're talking Celtics basketball with Matt Robeson. I know you're accustomed to hearing Matt talk politics. I think it's a lot of fun uh, to hear him talk basketball. And uh, so after what we said in the previous segment, Matt, uh, is there any scenario, any scenario at all, would uh, Brad Stevens entertain trading either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? Is there any scenario out there? Well, 
if you say any scenario, uh, probably yes. Probably yes, because the history of the NBA is that someone is completely untradeable up until the moment they get traded. And, you know, before Shaq got traded, back in the 90s, the, the idea was, well, the, the, this, is, this is the guy. This is the number one player in the league. Ever trade him. I mean, Kareem got traded. In the history of the NBA, everyone can get traded. And that being said, the you got to move off of Brown talk this season, I think has been way overblown. Yes, Jalen Brown is down from his performance, his all-star performance last year. Um, you see it in basically a, a, across the board in his statistics. His field goal percentage is down. He's actually taking slightly fewer field goal attempts per game. His three-point percentage, which had gotten up to a really uh, gaudy almost 40% last season, is now back down at a closer to a league average 35.3%. You know, and, and so just kind of across the board, just, just down a little bit. That being said, oh, I mean, what did we say before? You have, in Tatum and Brown, you have two of the top players at the greatest position of need and desire in the NBA. They're excellent defenders. They're historically good shooters, although, interestingly, Tatum's three-point percentage, I mean, we do need to talk about that. I mean, that that is, more than anything else, probably the number one cause of the Celtics sliding uh, through much of the winter is that Tatum has been down. Um, so much in his in his three point percentage, but you know they're strong shooters, they're um, versatile offensive players, they're switchable defenders, and you know if the and now Brown is on a contract, he's on a sub max contract, which is looking increasingly like a value contract for an all star level player. So I I don't see a scenario in the near term, certainly where they would look to get rid of Tatum. And I, I don't see why sometimes all change isn't good. Um, you know, and I, I don't know what trade they would get for a Jalen Brown that would make them definitively better. I know there was some, some talking about Minnesota earlier in the season. What about Carl Anthony Towns? Okay, all right. But are you definitively better with a pairing of Tatum and Towns? I'm not sure that you are. So um, I... I Put it at a low, low probability, but I guess it's not impossible. I mean, do you see it any different? No, I, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, but I, I think the the possibility of uh, of that happening, either one of them being dealt, is is very, very low. I, I I really do, and that's that's probably a good thing because it does appear, for whatever reason, and maybe Marcus Marcus Smart is that reason, that they have played together uh, better over the last uh, couple of months and passing the ball to one another more than I've seen it uh, in, in recent times. So uh, I, I think uh, things are starting to gel, and, you know, why mess with success, at least success to this point? Right, and I mean, you know, again, you that to me is one of the big, the big questions. You know, sometimes you can, you can actually measure it. It's amazing what you get in terms of statistics and data these days. They actually... They use camera technology, you know all this, but they use camera technology 
to measure where players are on the floor, and they can do all kinds of manipulations to say, well, what percentage would you expect a player to shoot in this, in this position if they're open for a shot? And when you apply that to the Celtics, what you find is they've actually been kind of unlucky during this recent win streak. They're, they're, they're actually shooting a lower percentage than you would expect them to shoot. Now, look, they've also, during the, during the strong run of, let's call it the last 20 games, they have had some luck. Uh, you know, they, they played the Suns without DeAndre Ayton, and, and the Bulls were, were, have been missing a ton of key players, and they got the Bulls, you know, in, in kind of a lucky spot there. The Heat were missing a ton of, I think uh, they're missing Jimmy Butler yep. when they got the Heat. So, you know, look, that's affected all teams. But the thing is that the Celtics have not only been not shooting well individually, but they've also been shooting worse than you would expect just based on kind of random factors, based on the, the, the usual percentages that they shoot. So you take a guy like, like Tatum, he's had a pretty hellacious season from three. I mean, this is a guy who was shooting 40% from three two years ago. He's down below league average. Like, he's below 33%. When he takes a three-pointer, it's still it's a decent play. It's, it's an okay play, but it's, it's actually a worse piece of offense for the Celtics when Tatum takes a three-pointer than virtually any other shot that they're getting. It's kind of crazy. So, I mean, to me, you have to factor that into a question of would they ever move off of a Tatum or a Brown. They're both having a slightly down season, but there's a lot of random luck factors that you expect to even out over time. And I'll tell you this, if the, the big question for me with, the, with 22 games to go for the Celtics as they, as they head in the stretch run toward the playoffs is, is there someone on their team who's going to raise their three-point percentage by like five percentage points? Because if Tatum returns to his historic career-long performance, or if Brown returns to where he was, he's about five points down. Or if Derek White all of a sudden becomes a 36% above-average league shooter, then watch out. I, I think it would do amazing things for their spacing and their offensive efficiency and their overall point score. So I, I would say, judging by what you said, you feel the Celtics' uh, biggest deficiency at this point is their outside shooting. Yeah, I think there's, to me, that, that seems to be the thing. It's just, you know, when you look across the board at, at the whole team, um, their shooting is, is the problem. And what it, what it tends to lead to is it crunches up the spacing because the defense doesn't have to react as strongly to the outside shooters. And that means that they get a lot less penetration to the rim, which means that they get fewer free throw attempts and fewer high percentage inside the paint opportunities. And overall, it, it, you know, to me, it starts with that outside shooting threat. Now, part of the way that they've been making up for that is by moving the ball more effectively, by moving it faster, by having a higher number of passes there. And, and you shouldn't just pass for passing sake, but they're getting out of that mode that you and I have talked about off the air before. What, what, and Scal talks about this on the broadcast all the time. You know, the Celtics have been prone 
even in the Brad Stevens case, to passing for passing's sake rather than to put pressure on the defense and move the defense. And it has a kind of egg-beater quality to it. They're moving the ball around the outside, just kind of churning it around, but it's not creating better shots. It's just, you have the ball, now I have the ball. And we're still facing a one-on-one matchup ahead of us. And, you know, what you really ideally want to do is you want to get some kind of paint penetration so that the defense gets forced into rotation and you end up with open shots, ideally wide-open threes, or shots close to the rim, which are the highest percentage, most high-efficiency shots. And so, yeah, I think a lot of it does come from a lack of shooting, which was better. I mean, in February, you know, overall, the field goal percentage for the team was up to 48.4% in February, in the eight games they played in February, most of which they won. And that's up from 46% in January, 45% in December. So they, they have been shooting better, but I think that comes from the passing. And so the next question for me is, if they can start to break some of this bad luck streak, and one or maybe even two players can make the leap back to some of their historic shooting performance, then everything follows from that. They score more points, the defense rotates harder, which gives them more open driving lanes to the hoop, which gets them more free throws and more high-quality inside looks. And that's, that's what unlocks the offense. Don't forget, the Celtics are number two in the league season long on defense. Matt Robeson is with us, and we're talking Boston Celtics basketball today. And, uh, Matt, I have a, a question for you, but uh, we have to take a, a quick break. Are you ready for that? Hello, Matt. Well, I guess we've uh, lost uh, Matt Robeson uh, momentarily here. Hopefully we can uh, get him back. We lost Matt, but we'll take a quick break here. It is Kale and Company on AM 1450 WKXL 103.9 in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in the Manchester area. Kale and Company presented by Weed Family Automotive at 124 Store Street in Concord. You can give them a call at 603-225-7988, weedfamilyautomotive.com. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company right here on WKXL. Uh, Matt Robeson, are you there? I think we've lost Matt, unfortunately. Uh, Matt uh, and I were talking about the Celtics here on Kale and Company, but uh, we uh, lost connection with Matt Robeson, unfortunately, and we're hoping uh, to get him back before the end of the show to, uh, to ask him a question. Don't forget now, all season long, uh, Boston Celtics basketball right here on uh, WKXL. And, uh, Matt, of course, uh, you can hear every afternoon on uh, Beyond Politics with Paul Hodes right here on WKXL at uh, 1450 on the AM dial, 1019, booming into the Manchester area, and also at uh, 1039 in the Capital Region. So we're hoping to get Matt back very quickly here on the show. And uh, before our program comes to a halt, and uh, we'll see if we can uh, re-engage with Matt Robeson here on WKXL. All right. All right. We're back. And, you know, Matt, unfortunately, we only have about a minute to go. <laughs> only have about a minute to go on uh, this segment. And uh, we'll, we'll have to do this again in the not-too-distant future. But in about, in about 45 seconds, 
Uh, just give us your your thoughts on the 76ers trade with the Brooklyn Nets. What were your thoughts on that? I'm with the folks who think it was a win-win. I mean, clearly, you're not getting anything out of Ben, Sim- ben Simmons if, in your, if you're Philly. Getting James Harden gives you a shot. You're still getting a top-20 guy in the league who gives you a shot to pair with Joel Embiid and not waste this absolutely stellar season from him. And for the Nets, yes, getting one of the top defensive players in the league, if you can get him to re-engage, it is a clear win, and they have plenty of ball shooters and plenty of ball scorers. So, win-win. Win-win for both the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. Matt, we're going to have to do this again. The time flies by much too quickly, but uh, thanks for being with us today. Always a pleasure. Great to talk to you, Ken. Thanks, Matt. That is Matt Robeson. I'm Ken Kale. Kale and Company, thanks for joining us today on WKXL and HTalkRadio.com, presented by Weed Family Automotive.